BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to The Bad Broadcast. I'm your host, Maddie Murphy. My sweet, sweet baby angels, I am I am so happy that you're here. Welcome back to The Bad Broadcast. My name is Maddie. I'm your host, and I'm also highly caffeinated today. Uh, I drank coffee, which I don't normally do. Well, I used to, but then I gave it up because, you know, the gut health stuff. By the way, people ask me a lot about what gut health test I did. I did Viome, V-I-O-M-E. Anyway, long story short, it told me to cut out coffee, so I did, and then I was like, you know what? I'd rather my stomach hurt and have energy. So I drank coffee this morning and it's great because we have so many things to talk about. Um, I don't have like a question of the week this week. I don't have a guest. It's just just you and me, mano y mano, chatting about some things on my mind. Actually, as I was writing my outline, I was like, I guess this is kind of just a summary and reaction to things I've been watching lately, like on Netflix. And, you know, we're going to talk about the new Pixar movie, Turning Red, that people are freaking out about. But before we start that, I just, I had this, I'm having a weird, I'm having a weird thing lately. I just, anybody else feeling kind of meh about Instagram? I don't know. Just like, I like, I like having it and using it because I like to talk to you guys, but man, just, I just doom scroll for so long. And like, I take, it takes up so much of my day. So I've been trying to be off Instagram more and it actually is really great because the more I'm off Instagram, the more things I have to share on the podcast. Because sometimes when I have a thought about something that I'm watching and I post it on my Instagram, I'm like, great. Now I can't even talk about that in the podcast. But since I haven't been on Instagram a lot lately, I have all of these thoughts just brewing in my head. And I keep a list usually. Like, you know, when you uh, don't see your best friend for a long time, so you like make a list of like all the things you need to tell her. That's what I do. But to you guys, I keep a list of everything I want to talk about. And the first thing that I want to talk about, we're just going to get right into it. The first thing I want to talk about is Facebook groups and not, not the bad broadcast Facebook group, not my Facebook group, because that's, that's not the issue here. You guys are perfect and you've never made a mistake ever. Okay. The, the real pressing issue that I want to talk about, this has been at the top of my list to discuss because it's just, we need to, we need to, you know, dig into this a little bit. Mom Facebook groups. I belong to several for no reason except that I like to people watch. It's like intimate people watching in a not sexual way. Uh, it's just like this, this weird little window into people's brains when you belong to a Facebook group with them. And I know a lot of you guys who listen are moms. Like I, I run the gamut of mom listeners. You know, some of you are young moms, some of you are empty nesters and everywhere in between. So I know a lot of you guys are raising kids. And I want to say, but before I quite literally rip mom Facebook groups to shreds, I want to say something to you guys. Ease up on yourself. Like ease ease the hell up. Because you're doing a really good job. You're doing a really good job. Like you only feed your kids McDonald's, perfect. You like when they're asleep so you don't have to deal with them, amazing. They wore the same thing 3 days in a row, perfect. Like however you're raising your kids is great. So this is not parenting advice by any means. Me talking about mom Facebook groups has nothing to do with like the type of parent that you are. Honestly, even the type of person that you are. It's the, you know, I'm, I'm talking strictly Facebook group. Okay. And the number one thing that I've observed being a part of these mom Facebook groups, I'm a part of a few, like some are, I'm a part of like a healthy sexuality one. I'm part of an anonymous one where people ask like really, really, um, like, shocking things, honestly. I'm part of like a Christian mom group, a Utah mom group. I'm part of all of these groups. 
And the, the one common denominator through all of them is that nobody is meaner to moms than moms. And so here's my advice. Leave the Facebook group. Leave that Facebook group. Like you're good. You're doing it. You're doing it right. It's all good. Um, you don't need to be in there and, you know, making yourself feel bad or listening to other people make you feel bad. Just leave the mom Facebook group. Okay. Join the bad broadcast one. We literally just talk about how stupid we are. But I want to discuss the anatomy of a mom Facebook group because there's, there's a few different breeds of posts that I see in mom Facebook groups. I've, I've, I wrote this all out. I swear to you, I could write a thesis about this because there are four types of posts that happen in mom centric Facebook groups. The first one is the fishing for compliments. The, I, I'm a really good mom and I need you guys to validate me. The like extravagant craft or the super expensive trip to Disney. Those people are just posting just because they want other moms to say, Hey, you're a really good mom. So that's the first kind of brand that I see, brand of post. The next one is, this one's more innocent. And I see moms, young moms posting, hey, I did, I did something, I did something kind of normal. Does this make me a bad mom? Okay, that's the, that's the other one. Genuine advice. A lot, of, a lot of young moms genuinely seeking advice and looking for something that could be helpful. We'll get into the responses to all of these in a moment. I'm just I'm telling you the different types of posts I see. So there's the fishing for compliment. There's the genuine advice inquiry, you know. The third type of post that I see quite a lot is my kid is sick or has these symptoms and I'm going to come to this Facebook group because it's a better resource than actual medical professionals. Don't love that one, but my personal least favorite is the my husband consistently and blatantly abuses me. Is this cool? Uh, that's it. I don't see any other posts, but those four. And I've been observing these Facebook groups for like two years. Am I a parent? No. Am I pregnant? No. Do I like just observing these weird interactions? Yes. So I've broken it down to those four. Now let's break it down to the four responses that these posts get. The, the first one is the fishing for compliments. I want to show everybody what a good mom I am. This always, always gets the, the response of, oh my gosh, we did this two years ago and it's really made a difference. Like moms who are like, we just started, you know, do, doing this and my kid reads chapter books and he's two months old and blah, blah, blah. Always has another mom commenting, dunking on this mom trying to brag. Because that's really all mom, all, all these mom Facebook groups are is just moms dunking on each other. <laughs> it's just like, it's this whole system of trying to one up each other. So even the people who are fishing for compliments, the people who comment back are also doing the exact same thing. They're, they're complimenting the original poster by also complimenting themselves. Again, you don't need to be in these Facebook groups to be told you're a good mom. Okay. You're, I'm telling you right now, you're, you're a good mom. Get out of these Facebook groups. Uh, all right. The next one is the genuine advice question. Uh, when, you know, it's young mom saying, Hey, I did this thing. Is, is this normal? Am I a bad mom? And this one is the most interesting because they really are actually wondering, like, I feel like the majority of these are very, very genuine. And when I read the responses, <laughs> they always go something like this. There's always a handful of like, go easy on yourself. Like you're doing great mama, but there's always a majority of Maybe you should try blank instead because it sounds like you suck at this and I'm way better at it. So maybe you should do it my way because my kid did this. And then when I fixed it, he got better. So do it my way. Bye. Uh, that's kind of the overall vibe that I get when people respond to these genuine questions of like, how old is my baby when they can eat this? And people, again, taking it as an opportunity to just talk about themselves at someone else. You know what I'm saying? Uh, okay, let's get into the third one. People who post their kids' sicknesses or symptoms or rashes or chapped buttholes on the page. If you're going to mom Facebook groups for medical advice, I am going to find your address and send the police because first of all, Google it. Second of all, Google it. Third of all, please go to a trained medical professional or provider 
Number four, I don't know what you're looking for because the majority of these Facebook groups are anti-vaxxers who don't even believe polio ever existed. So please reevaluate if you are relying on your Facebook groups for medical advice. Like, you know how people used to hate on WebMD because you can go down rabbit holes that aren't like necessarily true? Compared to mom Facebook groups, WebMD is Harvard. 15 minutes on WebMD is a 12-year medical degree from Harvard compared to mom Facebook groups. Like not only are they insanely unhelpful, but again, it's just a bunch of people saying things about themselves as though they're like, as though they're talking to somebody else, like just saying it at somebody else. Nobody's having a genuine conversation with anyone. That's not happening in these Facebook groups. Nope. They just want to share their opinion because they like typing it out and reading it over and over again. Don't get me wrong. This is coming from a girl who started her own podcast and just shoved all her opinions in it and can't make a TikTok without rewatching it 75 times. Like, I get it. I get when you want to just post your opinion because that's basically all social media is. It's just sharing every thought we've ever had. But when it comes to doling out medical advice, that's like probably where we should draw the line. Like if you, okay, if you see somebody post on, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, asking for medical advice, which is going to be none of you listening to this because I raised you better. But if you ever see that and the thought comes to mind, like I should comment, I should comment my, my two cents on this medical issue. I want you to go through this flow chart. Okay. First, I want you to say, am I a doctor? Ask yourself, am I a doctor? Okay. If the answer is no, then you don't need to answer. You don't need to, that's, that's perfect. Maybe you are a doctor. So if the answer is yes, move along to the next question, which is, am I this person's doctor? Do I know the medical history of this person asking the internet? Am, am I this person's doctor? Um, if it's a no, you can move along. You don't need to, you don't need to comment actually. Uh, and if the answer is yes, if you are this person's doctor and they're asking for medical advice on social media, you can't even comment because I'm pretty sure that violates like 60 laws. So you can't even do it. So really in any scenario, there's no need for anybody to give anybody medical advice on any type of social media. Maybe if it's like your uncle who's a doctor who you can't get a hold of him when you text him, so he, he messages you on Facebook. You know, there's definitely some leeway to this rule. Yeah, for, for the overwhelming majority of us, let's just not give medical advice. Yeah. This episode of The Bad Broadcast is supported by ShipStation. Listen. Online shopping is not slowing down anytime soon. So is your online business ready to keep up the pace? Well, it's about to be with ShipStation because you'll never have to worry about shipping again. Make the switch to a solution that handles all your shipping needs quickly, affordably, and painlessly. ShipStation is already trusted by over 100,000 e-commerce sellers. You can keep track of orders from any sales channel. You can easily find the best shipping carrier with deeply discounted rates and you can automate just about any shipping task with just a few clicks. I have used ShipStation from day one. Ever since I started selling things online, I've used ShipStation and now I use it like every day. If I have to send somebody just a package, I use ShipStation. I love it. And I promise you, if I can figure out how to use it, you can figure out how to use it because they don't call me a dum-dum for nothing. So you can save time, save money, and save your sanity. I would like more things that offer that offer that. Things that save time, save money, and save my sanity. I'm really trying to button things up on all three of those. So ship more in less time with ShipStation. Use my offer code BAD to get a 60-day free trial. That free trial means two months free of no-hassle, stress-free shipping. Just go to ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in BAD, B-A-D. ShipStation, make ship happen. Let's talk about this last one. And I don't, I don't have a lot to say because it's just so objectively terrible and it makes me sad. But these posts that women put in the Facebook groups that say, hey, my husband does this and this, is that normal? And it's like blatant abuse. Again, I totally understand reaching out and needing support. And I don't blame people who go to these Facebook groups who need need somebody to support them. And I hope a lot of times they do find that every now and well, I shouldn't say every now and then. I usually see comments back to these posts of like, that's not normal. 
here's some resources. Here's how you can, you know, take care of your kids, take care of yourself, all of that. But what really fires me up, this gets me more fired up than seeing your kid's rashy butthole, is when I see people commenting and saying things like, "Mm, but did he do it on accident? Did he punch you in the face on accident? Do you think him calling you a stupid, ugly loser is maybe just like his love language? Like, do you think? No, 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 we're not telling people to stick it out anymore. We're not telling women to do that. We're not telling women to be long suffering wives that just put up with horrible things that their husbands do and say, nope, we're not doing that. So shout out to everybody who really does help and provides resources for women who need them. And I'm going to give you a negative one shout out to people who comment and say, just wait it out. It could get better. It could get better. (sighs) That felt good. I've been holding in a lot of feelings about these mom Facebook groups because again, I quite literally worship the ground moms walk on. I think that people who have one kid up to a million kids, foster kids, adopted kids, nieces and nephews, they babysit a lot, whatever you do, taking care of children is hard work. And I think that you're doing an amazing job. So I want you to leave that Facebook group because if it's, if, if you're experiencing any of these things that I have witnessed and like, I don't really care about these things. Like I read this and I can brush it off because I'm not a parent. And I'm also not posting in these, but if this is affecting you, if the, if the way people answer or interact with you in these Facebook groups makes you feel like you are a bad mom, then leave it immediately. I give you permission. Okay. <sighs> Next item on the on the agenda is something that actually came to me almost directly from a mom Facebook group, and that is the reaction to the new Pixar movie, Turning Red. And before I start this rant, again, I need I, I feel like I always need to remind you guys, raise your kids how you want. You're allowed to disagree with literally everything I say about this movie, and if you don't want your kids to watch it, then don't let them watch it. But you can't get mad at me for having opinions about the movie. Okay, that's the thing. You can you can absolutely disagree with me, but you can't be mad that I have an opinion about these. Okay, I'm not mad at your opinion. I'm just sharing mine. And again, let's let's reference the great Fran Lebowitz, which I do I do like to quote this because I get yelled at a lot. But I would understand your anger if I was in charge of anything, but I'm not in charge of anything. I'm not raising your kids. I'm not babysitting your kids. I'm not, you know, living in your house. I'm not in charge of anything. I am just sharing my opinion on the movie Turning Red. So in case you haven't seen it, I'll summarize it for you. Uh, A 13-year-old girl finds out that when she feels any type of strong emotion, she can turn into a big red panda. That's kind of the premise of it. Her mom tells her that all the women in their family can do this, but it's okay because there's this special ceremony they can do that will lock the panda away forever. And because she wants to make her mom happy and she wants to do it the way her mom has done it, she agrees to do it. But in the end, spoiler alert, she does not go through with the ceremony and she decides to keep her panda ability. Pandability. <laughs> oh. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. I did not expect to be so in my feelings about this movie. There are a few movies that will make me cry no matter what. About Time is one of them. Uh, The Truman Show, King of Staten Island. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about why that's on my list. Uh, And Inside Out is another one that that always makes me cry. Usually Coco. I I could probably say Coco. Uh, But wow, put Turning Red up on that list. High up on that list. Easily the hardest I've cried in a movie in a really long time. Easily. And there's a lot of meaning in the movie. A lot of it's about like, you know, generational trauma, you know, healing your inner child. And I think depending on your situation, you probably get something different out of the movie than people around you. Like me and Matt watched watched it together. He got something different out of it than I did. But what what really stuck out to me is this concept of choosing a different path than your parents. Because it's hard. It's hard. Shout out to my mom. Shout out to my dad. Love you guys. But Yes, we're in our late 20s. A lot of us are choosing to do things differently than our parents did. And it's tough. It's really hard. So what's so interesting about the reaction to Turning Red is that this movie is all about choosing a different path than your mom, while all these mom Facebook groups are getting mad that this movie doesn't align with the path that they've chosen for their children. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's it's been fascinating to see. I'm actually kind of living for it. But I'm going to go through there's like been lists that have gone around. I've read so many comments about how 
people are feeling about turning red and why they thought it was inappropriate. And I'm going to give my reaction to these, not as a parent, not with any parenting advice, just as somebody who was once a 13-year-old girl, like a pretty normal 13-year-old girl. I feel like I had pretty normal experiences and things like that. So uh, I'm going to give my opinion based on that, not based on raising kids. So the first thing that people have been really upset about in this movie is that it encourages rebelling against parents. And I do want to point out that quite literally every single Disney movie that has ever existed is about this, is about rebelling against your parents. Like, have you seen Moana, Mulan, Pocahontas, any any of those? Luca? Like all of these are about rebelling against your parents, almost every single one. So that's just kind of like a Disney thing. So if you have a problem with it in this movie, it's probably something else about the movie that's bugging you and you should check that out. Check that shadow of yours. Another part that parents are really not happy about is the part where one of the girls says that she's not allowed to go to a concert because her parents say it's stripper music. They think that 13 is too young to be discussing uh, strippers. I'll have you know, When I was 13, I got my very first Nokia phone. It wasn't really mine, but I could like take it if I was walking to a friend's house or something. The year was 2006. And in my little Nokia brick phone, you could go in and program your own ringtone. It gave you like a blank musical staff and you could go put the notes in. I looked up the piano version of T-Pain's I'm in Love with a Stripper. And I programmed that into my phone. I was 13. Did I know what a stripper was? Yes. It was my favorite song. It was my favorite song. And we would sing those lyrics. We would play that music loud in my room. The music that we listened to from like 2002 to 2009, like I'm in love with a stripper, Pop Lock and Drop It, Give It to Me by Timbaland, Buy You a Drank. Like all of these, all of these. Bartender. I used to sing Bartender by T-Pain. I was 13 years old. Like I just, I feel like 13 is probably old enough to know what a stripper is. And, you know, in her defense, the girl's defense of the movie, her parents said it. So is it really her fault? Um, anyway, the next, the next thing that parents are not happy with, this one really pissed me off, but a lot of comments about how the ceremony that they do is super freaky. So the main character and her whole family, they're Cantonese. And listen, if you're unable to accept that there are other religions and cultures out there that are different than yours, just say that. If, if you can't possibly hold like that in your brain, if you can't have your belief system and then also be able to say other people have other belief systems and theirs are just as correct as mine. If that's not something that you can do, then don't comment on it. Don't comment on it because the rest of us are there. The rest of us like see these things and we think it's cool and interesting and you don't and you're in the minority. If you can't handle your kids hearing a song being sung in Chinese that is a way bigger problem on your end. It's not weird. It's not freaky. It's different than what you do. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see where the problem is here? The problem is not what they're doing. The problem is that you are labeling it weird and freaky. Okay. And guess what? Kids who hear their parents say, oh, look, they're doing that. And it's weird. They grow up thinking that that's weird. And then they're mean to people who do that. The next, the next one that people are mad about is that, <laughs> oh my gosh, this one, I, I give myself the ick when I talk about this, but the little girl, the main girl, May, she draws quote unquote sexy pictures of her crush. Okay. This guy who works at the corner store, she draws pictures of him that are like sexy. Uh, and the argument is that 13 is too young to know what that is or to participate in. First of all, she draws him as a mermaid. Okay. That's her sexy photo or sexy drawing of this guy. He's just I mean, I get it. I'm a King Triton girl myself, so I totally understand. But I also want to tell you what I was doing at age 13. I was in ninth grade, by the way. I had a crush on my older brother's friend. Luckily, I have about 30 million older brothers, so it could be a whole bunch of them. So hopefully they can't figure this out, but I'm sure they already know. Uh, but I didn't have a crush in like a funny way. It wasn't like a sweet, innocent schoolgirl crush. I had a I had a serious, deep twin flame, a hypothetical relationship with this 17 year old. I did not know how I was going to ever get over him or how I was ever going to be with anyone else in the world. I personally thought we were together. Like I saw him like maybe once a week when he came over to hang out with my brother. And I was convinced that I was the highlight like of his life. Actually, he's probably coming over to see me. That's probably what I thought. I thought he was, I thought he was friends with my brother so that he could be, be closer to me. 
And what I used to do, <laughs> oh my gosh, I hate myself. I hate 13 year old me. Actually, no, I don't. Giving her grace. She was doing her best. Um, but what I would do is that I would write on my school assignments. I would write Maddie. I'll, I'll do a fake name. Smith. We'll say Smith. His last name was not Smith, by the way. But I would write on my papers, Maddie Smith Murphy. So like then I could still get my papers back, but then I still got to kind of pretend that we were married. Very feminist of me, by the way. I was already thinking about uh, hyphenating all the way back then. Anyway, so I'd write Maddie Smith Murphy. But on my binders that I didn't have to turn in, I would write Maddie Smith. So one day I'm in English and I have my binder out that says Maddie Smith, which is obviously not my name. And this girl next to me, she go, she looks over and she goes, oh my gosh, are you related to, and then she says, my crush's name and his family. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what, what do you mean? Turns out she had been family friends with his family for her whole life. And she definitely told him, and I definitely never saw him again, because I bet when you're 17 years old, you don't love the idea of like your friend's 13-year-old little sister pretending that you guys are married. Like, I didn't pretend that we were dating. I didn't think that he was my boyfriend. I thought that we were destined to be together once in a lifetime love. That's how I felt about mom. So do I think that 13 is too young to have those intense feelings about a crush? No, no. That was probably the height of my feelings. I probably feel less intense about my relationships now than I did when I was 13. This episode of The Bad Broadcast is supported by Tim Coulson Photography. I know that you guys have already heard me talk about this, and I also know that you've heard other people freaking out over this course because Tim has the best beginner's photography workshop. It's called The Nursery, and it is photography explained in a way that actually makes sense. You don't even have to have used a camera before in your life. Also, it's not camera brand specific, so any camera with manual settings will work. You also get free access to the most kind-hearted and welcoming Facebook group on the internet with your purchase. So learning how to use your camera. This is self-care through a creative outlet. You can learn a new skill. You could also possibly earn some cash money if you're really good at it, which after this course you will be. So this is for the person who wants to use their camera to its potential and take the best photos of their life whether that's creating memories for friends or family, maybe you've got kids, you want to capture all the little moments, this is for you. The nursery has helped almost 3,000 students take the best photos of their lives. Tim actually quit his corporate job to pursue his passion in photography, and he's had more than a decade of experience. He's shot in over 14 countries for families, weddings, and also brands such as, I don't know if you've heard of this little, this little indie brand called Google. Maybe you've heard of Airbnb. BMW, Land Rover, just some, you know, casual experience. So the course is three hours total, but it's sectioned into bite-sized videos by topic that are easy to digest and you don't have to do it all in one sitting. You can take as long as you need. So you can go to timcoolson.com slash bad. I'm going to spell that for you in a minute for 30% off of the nursery photography workshop or click the link in the show notes. That's T-I-M-C-O-U-L-S-O-N dot com slash bad for 30% off or click the link in the show notes. This episode of the bad broadcast is supported by Diggs. When Diggs CEO Zell adopted his rescue dog, he found there weren't very many high quality, well-designed products out there for her. He founded Diggs to give pet parents a better option. All of their products are made to baby industry material standards because our pets deserve the very best. You know, I used to roll my eyes at people who said that, and then I got two cats and, uh, they do deserve the very best. I love them more than I love any human, pretty much. They have a very special in-house team of designers that work to develop every product to be the best it can be. Their products are designed with a safety-first mindset, but they're also very aesthetically pleasing. Diggs Passenger Travel Carrier is a stylish, safe way to travel with your best friend. It's made for dogs and cats up to 18 pounds. Tofu's like about to, about to, gained too much weight. He's not going to be able to fit in his. And it has received a five-star crash test rating, which is the highest score from the Center for Pet Safety. So bring your dog or cat along in the car, on the plane, in the subway, wherever. It also includes a custom bed with a built-in pee pad, so you don't have to worry about accidents on the go. So visit www 
digs.pet and use the code podcast20 at checkout for 20% off of your first purchase. That's www.digs.pet. Use the code podcast20 at checkout for 20% off of your first purchase. Hi, I'm Haley Hubbard. Hi, I'm Jessica Diamond. This is our show, Meaningful Living, where we break down the overwhelming amount of parenting, lifestyle, and relationship information into credible and digestible knowledge and tools. Parenting is hard, and the thousands of decisions we're forced to make every day can feel daunting. While we've never had access to so much information, it's never been harder to find the knowledge we need to feel confident in the choices we make. We're sharing completely uncensored information here. It can be messy, but it's always fun and always real. Check out Meaningful Living anywhere you listen to your podcast. It takes a village and we can't wait for you to join ours. Next point that parents are upset about, use the usage of the word crap. Listen, guys, listen. Kids on the playground are going around teaching each other what the F word is. And I know you don't want to believe me, but I would argue that most children by the age of like eight or nine have heard every swear word on the playground. That's the generalization, obviously. But I had heard every swear word by that age. I had also already gotten like deeply inaccurate sex ed lessons from my friends at recess. And boy, did those keep me confused for a good 11 years. So I say just beat, beat them to the punch. You know, if I'm, if I'm parenting right now, I would rather be the one to give the kid the information rather than the kid on the playground or the heaven forbid the internet. So the word crap, I mean, if they're not saying it at home, they're saying it when they slam their door at you or they're saying it at recess or they're writing it in their diary. Crap is, uh, is being used. I just, I hate to tell you. Uh, okay. The last one is that one of the lines in the movie may says my panda, my choice. And is this a little overt? Yeah. Like, do I think they could have left it out? Probably. Do I think it's harmful for young women and girls to feel ownership over their own body? No, no, I don't think that's harmful. I think that it's good to know that your body is uh, yours and nobody can touch it or do anything to it without you explicitly giving them permission especially at a young age where a lot of times young people are taken advantage of by the adults in their life. So again, if you don't want your kids to watch it, don't let them watch it. It's fine. But a lot of parents really like these topics being covered in, in Pixar movies. Honestly, I would, I'm just going to parent through Pixar movies. I can't get enough. I am 1000% convinced that Pixar funds like a psychedelics retreat and they just send all their employees with unhealed trauma to the desert. And when they come back, they write things like soul and turning red and inside out. Like they're like, Hey, who, who had a traumatic childhood? Okay. Have you gone to therapy yet? No. All right. You're coming with us. You're right in the next Pixar. I am convinced that that's what they do. Okay. So moving along on my list of things that I really need to tell you, we covered turning red. We covered mom, Facebook groups. Now we need to get to a Netflix show that I gave you homework to watch and that you guys have been telling me to watch, uh, and that is The Tinder Swindler. I did not expect to get as hooked into this as I did. I was so fascinated by it, and Matt and I were talking about this, like why these types of true crime documentaries are so fascinating, because obviously most of the true crime we absorb is about murder, and that's like, it's great, great, like love, love murder, love learning about murder. But the true crime where no one is murdered is almost more fascinating because murdery documentaries are about how vicious people can be and like how violent people can be. And these other types of true crime documentaries like Tinder Swindler and Bad Vegan, which I'm going to talk about if I have time. And same with that one. Uh, it's called Last Scene. It's about uh, the Isabella Gardner Stewart Museum art heist. Anyway, those types of true crime are just, those are about how like, cunning people can be and how manipulative people can be. And it's like way more about the psychology behind it anyway. Okay. So let's talk about the Tinder swindler. First up we meet in the Tinder swindler. It's such a tongue twister. I don't know why, why they named it that, but we open with this nice, normal, cute Norwegian girl talking about her dreams of love and her eventual Tinder match to a guy named Simon Laviv, who was clearly based on his pictures and all of his you know, social media things is living like this luxurious life. And they message right away. They meet up for coffee. He then tells her that he is the son of Lev Lviv, 
who is, I guess, known as the king of diamonds. And I'm going to be honest, when I first started the Tinder swindler, I thought that that whole thing was going to be fake. Like I thought that the billionaire that he was the son of didn't really exist. But that's not that's not the part that doesn't exist. This is a real guy, the Lviv like diamond empire or whatever. Um, but basically, Simon tells Cecilia, that's the Norwegian girl who we met, uh, that he's the prince of diamonds and he runs this like multi-billion dollar company. Uh, the first date, he invites her on a private jet. Ladies, rule number one, if he invites you on a private jet on the first date, always say yes. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. Please say no. Because it's one thing to be trapped in a car with someone that you don't know. Like you can only get so far in a car, but to be trapped in a plane with someone you don't know, it's a little bit different. Uh, but Cecilia's like, YOLO, I'm going. And while she's on the plane, you guys, this part blew my mind. When she met Simon's baby mama and his child, and she's talking to these, these, these people, I mean, his former wife or girlfriend or something, and she confirms everything. So basically Cecilia's like, great. This is real. Obviously, this guy's real. His baby mom is here. His kid's here. He's got security detail. We just flew private. Like, I mean, like hindsight, obviously, there's red flags. But when you're going into it, you're like, obviously, this guy's rich. Like, maybe he's doing something sketchy, but he seems to have money. So Simon and Cecilia are like falling in love and they're in bed one night. And he's like, you see these scars on my back? Prison. Prison in South Africa. That's where I got these. So then he's like, I got to open up to you about my real life. And he's like, I've got enemies. Dude's like, I've got CIA operatives working against me and I'm handling billions of dollars in cash every day. And it's just hard being the son of this diamond tycoon. And he tells Cecilia that he's got this $70 million deal about to go through. And he, so he has like security detail with him. He was like taking pictures of bullets that were getting sent to him. He's like, all my enemies, all my enemies. Red flag number one, perhaps of this whole thing. Okay. Not of this whole thing, but a glaring red flag. The use of the word enemies. Like, who actually has enemies? Like, you're not Jason Bourne. Like, you don't have any enemies. Like, anyway, so he's, like, telling her that he's gotten all these threatening letters, and he had to get this bodyguard, and he has, anyway, he just has all this proof, quote-unquote proof, of, like, that he's in danger. And listen, I will not, I will not tolerate people blaming the women in this story. If we have time to talk about Bad Vegan, I'll tell you how I feel about Sarma, the main lady in that. But in the Tinder swindler, not only is it believable and he has all of these people around him who can confirm what he's like, she's also in love with him. And like, she's flying private. She's staying at the Four Seasons. She's got all these diamonds. There's like, I feel like no rational person would see all of this proof and then be like, but wait, is he making this all up? I mean, yeah, again, looking back, the red flags abound, but I digress. So he makes her feel better because she's like, oh my gosh, I'm scared. You're in danger of all of these people. And he's like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. We're safe. We're going to be together forever and ever and ever. So that's where we leave off on Cecilia and Simon. Now we meet another lovely, lovely lady named Pernilla. I like all the women in this, in this docu-series, by the way. Well, I guess it's just a documentary. It's just, it's just like a movie length. Um, but Pernilla, you know, she's swiping on the app. She's living her best life. And she swipes right on our pal Simon, who is clearly two-timing our girl Cecilia. Again, really like these girls. Um, here's where the first big fat no comes from me, from Pernilla. Pernilla sends Simon, without even meeting him, without any, any information about him, she sends him her passport info so he can book her a flight. And like, I get it. Seems romantic. But this was in 2018. Okay, we, we should know by now, do not send strangers any personal info. Don't even send them the street you live on. Meet them at the nearby coffee shop. Like, do not give any, any personal info away. away. But she did that, and they, go, they do go on this trip. He flies her out. They keep in touch. They're like friends, or they're kind of flirty, whatever. So Simon tells Cecilia that he's ready to move in together, and she goes and picks an apartment. I This part, you guys... When you, when you find out like what Simon's up to and what he's been swindling, how did they get this apartment? Because Cecilia is like, perfect. Just put the money in my account, I guess. I don't know. But she's like, I got the, the penthouse apartment in London. It's like $15,000 a month. Again, I've said it before and I'll say it again. How do people fake being rich? 
Well, I guess we learn exactly how Simon does it. You would think the apartments do like a background check at least, you know, but whatever. They get this apartment. She's moving in and she gets a text from him. She gets a text that like that just says, Peter's down. Peter's down. There's blood everywhere. They're after us. Okay. Picture yourself and put yourself in Cecilia's shoes. Your fiance, who you've confirmed all these details about his life, your fiance, like the person that you are to marry. It's not some stranger or like some high school friend, like your fiance is texting you and saying, I'm in danger. Things are going wrong here. He's sending you pictures of his friend's head bleeding or his, his bodyguard, I guess his bodyguard's head bleeding. And he's like, I, I need money. They're going to, they're going to trace my credit card and I need money. Like, tell me, look at the man you love. Okay. Look at the man that you're married to. Tell me if he was not playing that role extremely well that you would not believe him. Because I feel like I would also get Tinder swindled. I will say it. Granted, I'm not that smart, but whatever. So she does. She gives him the money and he says it's not enough. She takes out personal loan, personal loan after personal loan, after credit card, after credit card, after credit card, up to $250,000. You guys, we have a credit card. We got a credit card when we were first married. Bad call bad call on my part. Nobody's fault but my own. Man, does credit card money feel fake until it's absolutely not. Uh, But she had $250,000 of debt from nine different creditors. So she obviously can't pay these, these bills. She can't pay off all this debt. But to her understanding, she's living with one of the richest men in the world. So who's going to worry about that? If my, if I was flying private and I had $250,000 in debt, I'd be like, Hey, can I just borrow that really quick? Uh, but he can't pay her. And he, got, he writes her a check and it bounces and she's got no money. She's got no money. And she's kind of freaking out because she's got $250,000 of debt. So she calls Amex. And this part, this part shocked me when Amex is like, stay there. We'll come to you. If I called my credit card company and they were like, stay where you are. We're coming to you. I'd be like, perfect. Well, I'll just go to prison. And that's great. Uh, so Amex, I don't know, are they investigators, whatever? They basically tell her that they've been looking for this guy all along. And I just want to mention this, this guy, Simon, well, it's not really his real name, but, uh, the Tinder swindler, he's like a very soft five. He is not hot enough to be acting this way. He's certainly not charming enough because we read all of his texts. We hear all of his voicemails in this, in this documentary, not charming, not charming, but Master manipulators don't need to be hot or charming because they know exactly where your weak spots are and they're going to wiggle in and get exactly what they need from you. So she's freaking out over her money, Cecilia is, and she bails, goes to Norway with her mom, and then he gets violent. And he's like, I know very powerful people. It's like, okay, no, you don't. And your fake bodyguard who you hired named Peter uh, doesn't count. What really broke my heart is when Cecilia said that she ended up checking herself into a psychiatric facility. Like the situation was so dire. It was so stressful that she had some dark, dark times and she checked herself into a psychiatric facility. Uh, So we hop back to Pernilla, who's still in contact with Simon and he starts sending her articles about how this billionaire's son is being held captive. I bet when Simon, I mean, because now obviously we know that he's not who he says he is. We don't exactly know what he's doing, but uh, he's sending her these articles about a billionaire's son. I bet Simon came across that article and was just like, Hell yes. Hell yes. Finally, I can use some time. Like, I'm sure that really did happen to some billionaire son somewhere. And Simon was like, you know what? I'm going to use this. I'm going to use this to my advantage. So anyway, Simon calls Pernilla and he's like, I'm getting tortured. I'm in a dangerous situation. And he's like, yo, I need $30,000 to get out of this. I want to make it known that if any person, like any person, including the person I am currently married to, including the person who birthed me, if they if they said, hey, quick thing, uh, could you take a personal loan out for $30,000 and give me the cash? I would not do it. I wouldn't do it. But these women are, one, nicer people than me. And two, he had been collecting information about these women and he deciphered how to best manipulate them. It's like not some stranger on the street being like, hey, can I have $30,000? And then being like, oh my gosh, yeah. Like it's a person they knew and trusted who's also a sociopath and highly intelligent. We know that people like this are not stupid. Bernie Madoff is not stupid. The people who gave their money to Bernie Madoff were not stupid. It's because they've all been manipulated into this situation. Pernilla takes out the cash. She does it. She takes out a personal loan and she gives it to him. 
And unbeknownst to Pernilla and Simon, Cecilia's like, I'm ready to get this guy. She's got Amex on her side. She's got journalists that want to write about it. So she goes to the biggest Norwegian newspaper and she's going to expose it. And here's where I got hung up. Okay. Who was the baby mama that Cecilia met? Like, like that seems like pretty reasonable proof. Like this guy's daughter and ex, like you would think if you were going to get anything, like any dirt on somebody, it would be with their ex, right? Like that's the person who should be like, hey, look out. Turns out this baby mama actually testified against him at trial. Well, like when she was pregnant, like early, early on in their relationship, ergo, this is his baby mama who's still a victim, but also an accomplice. So she must have gotten swindled, testified against him. He changes his name and he's like, listen, I will pay you half of everything I make. Like there's got to be blackmail or some sort of like payoff system going on, right? Like there's no way. That's why you can't be like, oh, these people are so stupid for believing him because he had many, 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 many people around him confirming that he was not lying. Uh, So this investigative team from Norway heads off to Israel. I just like, I don't know if I have anybody from Norway who listens to this podcast, but man, do Norwegians sound just absolutely delightful. I think I would really, I do think that I would fit in, in like Nordic countries. Like I feel like I have the build, I have the stamina, I have the diet. Like I just feel like I would do really well there. This episode of The Bad Broadcast is supported by Bloom Nutrition. I have noticed that however my morning is going, is exactly how the rest of my day is going to go. If I'm feeling bad in the morning, I'm probably going to be in a bad mood for that day. If I wake up feeling good, I know I'm about to have the best day ever. So whether I am out running errands or I'm just sleeping in, I make sure I have my best day and I start my gut off right every day by starting with Bloom. Bloom Nutrition makes it easy and delicious to give your body what it needs to feel your best inside and out. Their greens and superfood powder blends fight bloating, help digestion, increase your energy, and keep your skin glowing. What more could you possibly want from something? Fights bloating, helps digestion, you get more energy, and it helps your skin? Yes, yes, please. Bloom's greens are packed with 50 nutrients, more than 50 nutrients, including whole fruits and veggies, fiber, probiotics, antioxidants, and more, all in one easy-to-drink formula. Bloom is made for you, whether you're recovering from a big meal, or you had a big night out, or you're into the gym. Over 350,000 people trust Bloom to feel better every day. And right now, Bloom Nutrition is offering my listeners 15% off of your purchase of their greens and superfoods blend when you go to bloomnew.com slash bad. That's bloomnew, so B-L-O-O-M-N-U.com slash bad for 15% off of your purchase. Go to bloomnew.com slash bad for 15% off. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Dadgrass. There's a lot of vintage fads that we should leave in the vault, but the weed of yesteryear sure is not one of them. Dadgrass has old school joints to mellow you out so you can chill out like the cool kids used to do. I think the cool kids are honestly still doing it. Dadgrass is legal, organic, smokable hemp that relaxes your body and mellows your mind. Uh, CBD works. I don't know what else to tell people. Like every single night I take it, it's basically the only thing that keeps me sane. Dadgrass's 100% organic pre-rolled joints are very low in THC, so they're not going to get you high and they can also ship anywhere even if you don't live in a state with legal weed. Uh, They're high in CBD, so you can enjoy the effects of CBD while keeping a clear head. They're not going to get you stoned. But you can also get the toke without the smoke. Dadgrass has a CBD tincture made with the same high-quality hemp. It's easy to dose, and the effects come on smooth. You can chill out without getting stoned. All Dadgrass products are federally legal for ages 18 and over, and it ships right to your door anywhere in the U.S. So whether you're looking for a new buzz or a chill way to enjoy an old favorite, Dadgrass will leave you in a euphoric mood. So right now, Dadgrass is offering my listeners 20% off of their first order when you go to dadgrass.com bad. Go to dadgrass.com slash bad for 20% off of your first order. That's dadgrass.com slash bad. So they go off. They're trying to find more details about Simon, whose name is Shimon. And 
Meanwhile, he's still bugging Pranilla for more money. And then when she says, hey, like, I need to be paid back for this. Like, I need my money back. Like, yeah, I just gave you 30 grand. Like, I'm going to need that back. He just sends her a screenshot of a $100,000 statement. And he's like, here's your money. <laughs> and she's like, Thank, thanks, I guess. Never shows up in her account, obviously, because this dude has no money. And finally, the article comes out exposing Shimon slash Simon. Just a random dude who has been photoshopping himself into photos with billionaires, who has been swindling women one after the other, finds one, drains them of their all of their finances, hops over to the next one, spends their money on her. Basically, it's a Ponzi scheme. They even call it a Ponzi scheme in the documentary. But this is where my favorite woman to ever live comes into the <laughs> comes into the documentary. Love Pranilla, love Cecilia, and I'm glad they're teaming up and they're bringing him down. But we meet Eileen. Eileen is in Prague. She's visiting her boyfriend. She's checking her phone. New article comes up on her newsfeed. Tinder swindler. It's her boyfriend. They had been together for 14 months. When she said 14 months, I nearly lost my mind because that's a long time to be with somebody. It's a very serious relationship. So she's seeing all these videos and texts on this article. She's freaking out. Obviously, she's reaching out to Simon and he's like, no, 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 no. Listen, babe, listen, babe. It's my enemies. My enemies fabricated the story. Again, this guy has no enemies. So she reaches out to Pranilla because she heard about her um, on the on the article. And she's like, bitch, I'm going to help you take this guy down. So Eileen totally fakes it. She's like, yeah, Simon, I believe you. I totally believe you. But she's about to swindle the heck out of the Tinder swindler. Sort of. It wasn't as satisfying as I wanted to be. But she's like, I'm going to help you with, get the money, get paid these fines, you know, whatever. And she just cleans out his closet and just goes and sells everything he's purchased, which is like obviously thousands and thousands of dollars because he's been living in the lap of luxury. So she starts selling all his clothes. And it's actually so amazing because she's like sitting in there like steaming and folding all these luxury clothes. And she's just making bank off of her like insane sociopathic criminal ex-boyfriend. So he's asking her for the money. She's like, yeah, yeah, it's coming. But obviously she's keeping it. And literally in her interview, <laughs> her phone lights up and she's like, oh, look on eBay. Another one just sold. And they're like, are you still selling his clothes? And she's like, yeah, she's like still selling it. She's just a badass. I just really like her. So anyway, after this article comes out, after everybody in the world knows about him, after he can't get on Tinder anymore, he gets arrested by Interpol for having a fake uh, passport. How do people get away with this for years with fake passports? Like, did he have a passport that just said his real name and he just traveled as himself? He couldn't have, guys, because his real name also had a criminal record. Remember that lady he had a baby with? Like, that was under his real name. So how do people get fake passports? Like, when I go check my passport at the thing, I'm like, hey, like, and then I think to myself, like, what if I accidentally brought a fake one? Like, what if I accidentally got a fake passport and I'm about to go try and cross the border and they're going to catch it. Anyway, he served like 15 months in prison, but you guys, this guy still free. He lives in Israel dating a model. He sells business courses. What can his business courses possibly teach us? How to pretend to be rich and still have no sense of style. I feel like that's the only thing he could possibly have to offer. So Tinder swindler, wild ride. I really hope you watch it. Um, again, because I think the women in it are very cool. And there's another true crime, true crime, uh, docu-series that came out on Netflix that I'm dying to talk about. This one I don't feel as nice about. Okay. This one I don't feel as nice about the main person. Do I have time to talk about this? Sure. I guess so. I mean, you guys asked for longer episodes, so I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to tell you all my thoughts about bad vegan. First of all, Bad Vegan, stupid title. I think it's such a stupid title. It really has not very much to do with her being a vegan. So it's just, it's kind of, I don't know. And, and then the subtitle is like Fraud, Fame, and Fugitives. And it tells you almost nothing about the show. They have to give you a full subtitle just so you like understand what's going on. So I'll keep this one shorter. I won't go as in detail. But basically, Sarma, who is the, the main lady in Bad Vegan, uh, she runs this fine food and wine restaurant in Manhattan and it's completely vegan. So obviously all these celebrities love it. And I think that she did this Netflix series to like clear her name. Like, I think she wanted to be like, 
yeah, everybody will hear my story and like be on my side. But it comes off like real fire festival energy. Like this is not a it's not a flattering look for Sarma, I gotta say. So yeah, it follows her. She's this famous vegan restaurant owner. She strikes up a relationship with a guy online named Shane Fox. To give you a reference point on her vibe, she said that she was attracted to Shane because he said, like, she specifically singled out this line. I thought it was so weird. And he said, I can pick you up under one arm and your dog up under the other arm. And she was like, and I just thought that was like really appealing. If somebody said that to me, I'd be like, okay, weird pickup line, but all right. Anyway, they meet in real life. Basically, everybody in her life is like, uh, so who's this guy? And mystery starts right away. And keep in mind, when you're like, like in your own relationship or in your friends' relationships, private is not the same thing as secret. If your friends are keeping something a secret, if they are uh, not telling you details, if they're embarrassed about it, like, I mean, obviously this is a generalization, but you can get a vibe when somebody's being super secretive about something that they're doing. That's not the same thing as like, oh yeah, I have a relationship and I keep it private. Like, I feel like I keep Matt and I pretty private on Instagram. Like he's not on it a whole bunch. I just think it's also like a respect thing. Like it's not his profile. He probably doesn't want all his details of his life on there. So anyway, just putting that out there. Something to look out difference between secret and private. And of course, Shane. First of all, the name Shane Fox. Like, I mean, we know later in the series that his name is not Shane Fox. It's actually Anthony Strangis. And it does make sense why he went with Shane Fox. It's just like pick something that's a little less on the nose, buddy. So he tells her he's in the CIA. He has like a background of the CIA logo on his phone. So she's like, yep, perfect. Again, he has all these people surrounding him, confirming to her that he is who he says he is. So he's got assistants and drivers. Again, how do these people find accomplices? It is beyond me. She's in millions millions of dollars of debt uh, with the restaurant. And she had also poured herself into the restaurant. So she really had nobody helping her, which master manipulators can sense. There's a reason that people get taken advantage of when they're at their lowest. That's the reason people join cults when they're, you know, deep, deep in the dark place. Manipulative people are looking for that. So she relies heavily on Shane for finances and to help her with her debt. And for tax purposes, I guess they just get married. This is where she finds out that his name's Anthony Strangis. Can't think of a better name for this guy than Tony Strangis. He is the, he is the weirdest guy ever. So I also just want to say here, if you find out that your boyfriend is going by an alias, it's time to go. It's time to bail. If he has been lying to you about his first and last name, you got to go. Like, that's what the girls in Tinder Swindler did. Like, the minute they found out, they were like, yeah, okay, bye. Like, this is a weird situation. That's why I feel less bad for Sarma. Like, I feel kind of bad for her, but she's definitely not the only victim. And she's also definitely the perpetrator in a lot of stuff that happened in, the, in this story. Another strange part. Another strange part about Tony Strangest. He basically told her that her dog will be immortal and that that his dog's past life, or sorry, that her dog is actually his dog's past life, whatever it is, that they have the same dog, past lives or whatever. And Sarma is loving that. Sarma is loving that she's getting an immortal dog. Uh, people in her life still to this day say she's probably holding out for it. So then the classic, you know, I'm in trouble and I need money. Can you take out a loan for 10K and all that? You know, this classic scenario that we've been finding ourselves in today's episode. And she does. She takes out money. She gives it to him and he starts taking over her restaurant and every employee hated him. Not only do all her employees hate him, but basically everybody in her personal life hates him too. They're like, okay, this Tony guy is absolutely not it. Tony ends up taking a bunch of employee files and he's still asking Sarma for more and more money until he eventually starts taking money out of her business. And the part that I'm really, really sad for Sarma in is that he does basically rope her in like a cult leader would. Like he uses the same like spiritual language and all these things makes, makes her rely only on him. So she was roped in. I just don't think that she um, was as oblivious to it as she's saying. Like there's this part at the end where they're on the run. They've been in like Arkansas or something for 40 days and they're hiding from everything. And she says like, I didn't know we were hiding from people. Her restaurant's shutting down. Her employees are suing her for money because she missed payroll because of Tony. And she just says that she didn't know they were on the run. And it's like, but you, 
you must have known that you were breaking so many laws and that you were staying in a motel in the middle of Arkansas. You know, like somewhere it could have occurred to you that you were on the run. But even still, I do want to reiterate that I do think that Sarma was, of course, a victim. I just feel bad for the people who were also victimized by her in her kind of obliviousness. So I'll wrap this up. If you haven't seen Bad Vegan, you should go watch it because I'm not getting into the nitty gritty of the details, but there's a lot to it. Um, But I think that what we've learned from all of the stories that we've talked about today are don't give anybody any money ever especially not people that you meet on the internet who demand that you wire transfer them $30,000 at the drop of a hat. Just doesn't feel like a good idea. Yeah. I'll, I'll talk more about this, about bad vegan next week. I just, I'm wrapping it up here because I don't want to keep you guys too long. Uh, if you guys want to talk about it more, we totally can. Let me know your thoughts. Let me know your thoughts about turning red. Please send me any Facebook mom group posts that you see that you think I'll enjoy. But with all that said, thanks for chatting. Thanks for letting me vent. You guys just give me such a safe place to vent whenever I need it. And I hope you feel the same. So I love you so much. Be here same time next week, next Monday, 11 a.m. I'll see you then. I love you so much. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, you can catch a new episode of The Bad Broadcast every Monday. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss anything. Also, I want to hear from you. So please leave a rating and review. You can also follow me on Instagram at The Bad Broadcast for all the behind the scenes action and more information. Talk to you next week.